Hey, I'm Brother Matt. And I'm Damian Torres Patello, and welcome to Along the Way. Today we have a very special guest, someone who's very dear to me, uh, my dear friend Padre Gotuma from On Being and Poetry Unbound. And he's an overall just delightful, prayerful, beautiful man. That, how do you know him? Um, we're, we are uh, internet friends. <laughs> so we we connected on the internet a couple years ago, and then he was in town. I think I got a beer with him in Chicago, and then he came out here. Anyways, we've stayed very close, and uh, having Lent, this season be about Lent, I knew I needed to have him on because he's a poet and he's a theologian, and he's, as the listeners will hear, he's deeply connected to the Stations of the Cross, which are a big part of the Catholic Lenten tradition. How mm. was it for you? I mean, this is the first time you've met him. Yes, I, I've listened to, I believe it's you introduced me to Poetry Unbound, and I um, I was I'm so captivated. People who have the ability to break down something like poetry um, into nuances, I don't know, it just really, I just can't, I can't stop listening to it. And it's so short. It's a very short podcast, and I feel like I've learned a whole lot in those short 15, I think it's 15 minutes is what it is. Um, and I was a little like like a miniature fangirl <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's uh, he's phenomenal um so everybody um listen up and this is a longer interview than the other ones we've done but it is well deserving of every minute that we have patrick on it is my great delight to introduce my dear friend patrick otuma pod welcome and welcome to along the way thanks matt thanks damien yes uh listeners will at least be familiar with your name because we mention you every week because you christened our show. That's right. Thank you for giving me the due deference. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who don't know you, will you explain a little bit about where you are and what you do? Yeah, I am in Ireland. I'm in the northwest of Ireland on the border of Donegal and Fermanagh. Um, I'm a poet and a theologian. So I work with different groups, mostly with On Being, presenting Poetry Unbound and um, being theologian in residence with On Being as well. God, that's a dream job. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> and it's one of those uh, dream jobs that's as good in reality as you would think of it in, in fantasy too. Yeah. And Damien and I modeled this show. We stole it completely from Poetry Unbound. We loved what you do. We're like, it's short, it's approachable, it demystifies things. Mm. And then it causes you to stop as you walk and you're just like, oh. I don't know if that's like what we actually do to people, but that's what you, that's what you do to me when I listen to it. Do the two of you put on Irish accents? Yes, when the microphones are off. <laughs> Definitely when they're off. <laughs> me and accents don't go really well together. Um, and I, I wanted to have you on because you and I are, are great friends for, for a couple of years. And uh, Lent in particular is, is a time that this season is about. And you grew up Catholic. And what, what associations do you have with Lent from growing up? Oh, I mean, growing up with Lent was always about what you're giving up, you know, um, uh, and then also about morning mass. Um, for lots of years, I would have gone to the morning mass um, just before school. Uh, for a long time, they'd have offered a mass in the school. You know, the chaplain to the school would have said mass at half eight. School started at 10 to nine. So it would have been a very fast mass. But, <laughs> but loads of teachers and pupils were there. And, you know, it was a nice way to see a different um, environment in school. Yeah, so those are the growing up associations, very definitely. So you talked about, you know, the, the emphasis on giving up and did did Lent have to change for you over the years or how has Lent 
what is Lent for you now? Yeah, it did change. You're in my twenties. I was in therapy. Uh, I'd been going through a very difficult time, and um, over Lent one year, the therapist was away. He had told me he'd be away. He was going to be away in study leave for six weeks around Lent, and um, I decided, like an idiot, I was going to give up listening to music um, <laughs> while you know, during this time. So a really important support structure was gone, i.e. the therapist. And then I decided I'd give up something really important to me also, listening to music. And I think reading books as well. Like I just decided to create (laughs) space in my life while I was in a bit of drama. And I mean, I went downhill very suddenly. And when the therapist came back, he said, "Um, how's it been? And I was like, hell. And he said, tell me about it. And I told him how I'd been feeling. And then I said, and I gave up music and books and television and stuff like that as well during Lent. And he said, why did you give up something that would help you? Mm. I was like, oh, um, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I I suppose that was a growing up um, in terms of thinking, you know, giving up is, I mean, that's just a little game we play really in order to think about attention. And the point is, is, is the game good enough? And you can play that game well, you know, um, and I think that's really important. And I have given up some things this year and I'm very glad to have done that. But I always think about it in terms of thinking of giving up and taking up and focus. Is this going to help? Great. If not, is it just some kind of penitent idea as an endurance test? Well, then probably that that won't last. And it's also not going to focus energy. That's right. Hmm. And Damien and I have shared before how uh, everything, you know, the first principle and foundation, everything has the potential of drawing forth a deeper relationship with God and everything has the potential of getting in the way. (laughs) Lent itself can, can aid our relationship with God or can get in the way because it becomes about our own ego. Yeah, totally. Um, Years ago, I'd given up. I I think I was only eating breakfast every day. That was one year before the great showdown of Lent. And then somebody invited me to their house and I said yes. And I sent this preemptory awkward email about, you know, maybe I shouldn't eat, but I'd come along anyway. And it was all very awkward. And a friend of mine who was a priest was like, you're like you're accepting hospitality. You know, in any situation like that, accept hospitality. Don't burden people who are having you as a guest with whatever you're going through, do you know, say thanks. Don't eat breakfast the next morning if, if it's that important to you. But, right. you know, find a way not to be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect, uh, yeah, <laughs> subtitle to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and in particular, the one of the Lenten themes or Lenten practices is the Stations of the Cross. And you have a, a really beautiful, strong relationship with the Stations over many years. Can, can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? You know, I used to be involved in the charismatic um, renewal. I always want to say revolution, which make, gives it an entirely it different kind of connotation. <laughs> I grew up in the same kind of household too, and it does kind of feel like a revolution. <laughs> it does. Yeah, all kinds of revolutions. But um, so once, I think I was 18 in one of those prayer meetings, and a thing occurred to me out of the blue to say, you should start praying the stations. And it was so particular and so out of the blue. Nobody had said anything about that, you know, the weeks previously that would have been lurking in the unconscious. And I paid attention to it. Um, And I didn't know what to do with that. I kept on thinking, what does that mean? Like, I only knew the stations as a thing that happens in the church where the priest would go around and with a couple of altar servers on Good Friday. Anyway, about a year later, I found the prayer book that my auntie Nora had given me for my confirmation. And it had a prayer for every station of the cross in the back of it, just a line or two. And so I thought, Grant, 
um, and I took up running the stations um, for for Lent one year. Um, I can tell you what year that was. I think it was 1995, Lent 1995. I took up praying the stations every day during Lent. And I didn't stop for 10 years. So for mm. most of the next 10 years, I did the stations every day. And I found a few postcards of them too, if I was away and just would go through them. Sometimes you just kind of look through them over the course of a minute, you know, other times in a church, mm. mostly it was in a church because I was living next door to one. So you could just go in and spend 15 minutes. And I love the Stations of the Cross. I still do. Um, if there's ever an opportunity to do them, I will. And just two feet away from me, I've got a beautiful set of Indigenous Australian stations. There's something about the the practice of stopping in a story. I love the, the repetition of the three fallings. I think there's a great artistic flourish of, of attention there. It's not trying to say, let's be accurate or forensic. It is uh, an artistic point of view into a narrative that has evolved over centuries. There were lots of different amounts of them in different places before it settled on the 14. And I I think the point of view that's put forward, the the way that the stations are populated with different people, with Mary, with Veronica, with Simon, with the women um, at the 8th station, which is always a peculiar one for me. Um, but then the soldiers too, you know, and Pontius Pilate, you're drawn, your eyes are drawn in attention toward these characters that populate this horrific incident of state violation and torture and execution. And I I am not somebody who is interested in thinking about execution as redemptive. I am interested in thinking of somebody who can love up until the end. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to have the fortitude to think of loving, especially when it is in the most horrific environment? I'm never going to be in that situation, I don't think. But there's small situations where it feels hard to be loving all the time. And the stations are a return to me to think, what does it mean to be loving here? And also, what does it mean to resist empire? Hmm. I love that combination, the personal and the and the larger, almost societal. The political, yeah. Um, the political. They are political I, for I think me. there's something... Yeah. Yeah. And, and given, I mean, the context of where and when you mm. grew up, uh, seeing violence very close and touching many people in your life, uh, state-sponsored violence and otherwise, this is, like, it's really moving. Mm. There's something, like, I, I can't describe how important the stations are to me. If, like, if I could only keep one thing of a practice... It would be the stations. There's not even the beginning of a doubt um, for me. Mm. Uh, There is a body poetry in them where you walk around. Um, I still stay, you know, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross you've redeemed the world. Even though I have all kinds of footnotes of objections to every single word (laughs) in that (laughs) sentence. But I feel like the argument in me towards even that level of devotion, that argument too has become a devotion that I keep on chewing it over and I keep on thinking about those words and they have gone deeper than just the, the, the first level meaning, the argument with them and the rejection of them and the quantifications I'd want to give each one of those words. Each of those have become a, a, a line of intimacy to me. Um, and at different times, you know, different people crop up as I go around and I'll sometimes, you know, text them to say, 
I thought of you at the fifth station today or whatever. Um, there's a way within which the population of my life too has become gathered around the population of people in the stations. I am just so, I'm, I am moved by the, the language that you are using in regards to a devotion. Um, I think for those who, I myself in regards to the, the rosary, but, but those who carry a devotion of something, um, I don't know, you just put into words something that I um, feel when it comes to the rosary. Just um, there are things about it that, that, that I think I struggle with, but yet I continue to return to it. Uh, there are prayers within the rosary that I, that I'm a little like, nah, I don't know, but then I still do it anyway. Yeah. Um, I, it's just, it's, there's something about, um, the expression of going to it anyway, that is powerful in what you just said to a devotion that, that, I mean, that's what a devotion is, right? Regardless, I think of, of what is maybe in the background or underneath it, you still return to it. And, yeah. um, I, yeah, it's, it's obvious in, in your expression, that the stations are something that you just continue to return to. Um, that's, I think, a powerful thing. I mean, there's moments when I remember, you know, turning to the stations, you know, the first day after a grief, for instance. Mm -hmm. And just having the rhythm means that you can begin again, again. And that kind of capacity to think I've changed, but these haven't. And what has changed is the experience of these and I'll bring something new. I don't ever feel like I'm fitting myself into a box um, with the stations. I feel like I'm looking out of the world. Mm. I mentioned I was, in, I was in reparative therapy to get rid of the gay for a long time. And um, the, that didn't seem it to didn't, work. definitely didn't work. <laughs> possibly just, possibly just um, amplified the gay. Um, there was a few different reparative therapists. Um, they don't deserve the name reparative or therapeutic. But anyway, one of them, who I only saw for a little while, said to me once, what's your prayer like? He was an evangelical. And I told him about the Stations of the Cross. And I could just see this look of absolute bewilderment on his face as I was describing this. And I got to the end and he went, hmm, obsessed by death, are we? <laughs> and I'm, looking, I'm just thinking, like, I can accept that you think that gay people can be cured. And I was there because I was kind of being forced there by my work. But on the level of what he just said, I thought, I think you're a fool. <laughs> and that was one of the things okay. that kind of contributed to this whole thing dissolving for me. Anyway, so like, I felt yeah. more defensive about the Stations of the Cross than I did about my own dignity. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I, as a as a Catholic, I feel I, that makes me smile. Being like it's deeply troubling and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> um, and I think there's something beautiful what you both said about devotion in in words. And I'm reminded of what monks say about the Psalms, is that sometimes sometimes you you are carrying the words in your being, and sometimes the words are carrying you. And and there there's a great gift to a devotion where things are set up, the stations are set, the decades of the rosary are already planned out for you, that you can do it and it, it prays itself on you as you are praying yourself yeah. on it. I think there's really something gorgeous there. Hmm. Let's, um, I just, I kind of don't want to leave this conversation, but I also want to, this is a great moment, I think, to bring us into prayer. Um, so if it's okay, let's, let's take a moment and center ourselves um, and recall what we just heard. What was just shared? 
and how that made you feel. So take a deep breath in and let it out. And acknowledge God's presence right where you are and right how you feel. some questions to reflect on in this week of Lent um, as you think of this week is there one story that strikes you it might be somebody you saw on the bus or a phone call or something you did or didn't do some small moment that takes your attention recall that moment and just tell the story look at it And then think of another story, a story that you might want to let go of or that's been troubling you, something that you might find painful, and to find a way to speak safely and carefully to that. That might be deciding to ask for help, deciding to apologize, deciding to forgive yourself, deciding to seek some kind of support. And the last reflection is to consider if you could say one thing to God in your prayer, what would you say? Just one thing. You might start off with a list of five and then think, what's underneath these five? Just ask a few questions for yourself and bring it down to one thing. It might be a request, it might be a thanksgiving. What is that one thing? Take a deep breath in and let it out. We give thanks for this moment. Thanks to Patrick for allowing us to be together with God in prayer. Amen.
Join us again next week for the fifth week of Lent, anywhere podcasts are found. And we'd like to thank Eric Clayton and Mike Jordan-Lasky for their help producing along the way. They should really get like an Emmy or a Pulitzer for the show. They a Golden it. Globe. Golden Globe. <laughs> Um, Padraig's American new, new release of his book In the Shelter comes out on the 23rd of March and there's going to be a book launch with the dear beloved Krista Tippett on the 25th of March so be sure and check the internet for that and if you liked this conversation be sure and subscribe and listen to our other episodes and remember God loved you first let's go forth today and live our lives as a response to that love <laughs>